Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Oh, fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 23. And if you're tracking along with us, we are in this series called Taste and See. And hopefully you have your study guide with you. Again, the nature of this series is a little different than what we're used to. It's probably a little more academic. Uh, It's got a little more information. Um, But I want to give you an opportunity to lean in and to learn, to write some things down. Because we believe that history makers are... Note takers, that's right. Taste and see. Talking about the feasts of Israel, and just a quick recap, we talked about these feasts really help us to do three things. Number one, it's about reflection, to remember what God has done. Number two, it's about celebration, to rejoice in what God is doing. And then finally, it's about expectation, to look forward to what God has promised. Now look, these feasts are centered around joy and celebration. I think there ought to be a spirit of joy among God's people. And only three people are happy about that. How many of you know we've got something to celebrate as believers? We look back in our history and we see God's faithfulness. We can embrace today and see the good hand of God moving us forward. And we can look to our future and know that we are held in the hand of a sovereign God. The feast of Israel were all about joy and celebration. We, we talked two weeks ago about the Passover. And we talked about how the Passover pointed us to the death of Jesus. Last week, if you were here, Pastor David, didn't he do a fantastic job? Oh, my goodness. And I heard Tennessee won yesterday. He's probably flying somewhere in the stratosphere right now in an orange suit, checkered orange suit on his way to heaven. He talked about first fruits and how first fruit points us to the resurrection of Jesus. Today, I want to look at the Feast of Pentecost. We're going to look at Pentecost. This is one of those mid-harvest festivals actually taking place in the the latter part of the spring or the early summer. Sometimes it's called the Feast of Weeks, but the Bible identifies this in Luke 20, uh, Leviticus 23 as the Feast of Pentecost. Somebody say Pentecost. Now, when I say Pentecost, what, what comes to your mind? Well, what do you think about? Yeah, we probably have different thoughts based on histories and backgrounds and experiences. How many have been a part of church for a long time? Okay, how many of you are relatively new to church? Yeah, so we connect different thoughts, and when I begin to study Pentecost, I thought about my first encounter with the the Word. I I was uh, an incoming freshman at Louisiana College, and I was there on scholarship to play basketball, and so I didn't know anything about the school. I just had been recruited and and tried out with the team, and man, I was there to play ball, but I was in a a freshman orientation class, and I remember how the the professor broke us up into groups and had us pair off with, with other students. Students, and we were to interview that student and find something out about them and then introduce that student to the entire class. And so the girl that I was paired off with, she was asking me questions and, you know, of course, where I was from and, you know, what, what my background was. And then she asked me this. She said, 
are you Pentecostal? And I thought that was kind of a strange question. Are you Pentecostal? And honestly, I didn't really know what she meant, or I didn't know what Pentecostal was. But I knew it was in the Bible, so I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> I only know sometimes you can't figure yourself out, but you just go with it. Couldn't figure it out, but I knew it was in the Bible, so I said, what if it's in the Bible? It's a good thing. Sure, I, I'm Pentecostal. So then she introduces me to the class. She says, this is Mike Heyman. He's from Baton Rouge. He's on the basketball team, and he speaks in tongues. <laughs> I was like, what, what just happened? And then I found out later that Louisiana College was a Baptist school, and so everybody was talking about me saying, that's the boy with the tongue right there. Pentecost, we're going to look at the, the biblical history of this feast and how it ties to Acts chapter 2 and then what it speaks to us today. So dive in, Leviticus 23, 15. I want to read a lot of scripture up front and then talk you through this study guide. Verse 15, scripture says this, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, Count off seven full weeks. See, listen, it's called Pentecost because it takes place seven weeks, 50 days after first fruits. Check this out. Count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord as a special offering. Make these loaves from four quarts of choice flour and bake them with yeast. They will be an offering to the Lord from the first of your crops. Somebody say first. Along with the bread, present seven one-year-old male lambs with no defects. One young bull, two rams as a burnt offering to the Lord. These burnt offerings together with the grain offerings and liquid offerings will be a special gift of pleasing aroma to the Lord. Then you must offer one male goat as a sin offering and two one-year-old male lambs as a peace offering. Man, there's a lot of offerings here, a lot of, a lot of giving here. Verse 20, the priest will lift up the two lambs as a special offering to the Lord, together with the loaves representing the first of your crops. These offerings, which are holy to the Lord, belong to the priest. That same day, it'll also be proclaimed as an official day for holy assembly, a day on which you do no ordinary work. This is a permanent law for you. And it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. Now, this last verse, and then I'll, I'll land the plane. Verse 22, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor. For the poor and the foreigner living among you, for I am the Lord your God. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? Now that was a lot. And sometimes it's hard for us to connect with Old Testament traditions and all the details of this feast. But basically, if you could look at this feast in the sense of a Jewish Thanksgiving meal, this was their Thanksgiving. Um, how many of you love Thanksgiving? How many love to eat? Oh, yes, you do. 
For some of us, eating is a spiritual gift. Can I have a good amen? Food makes me happy. Come on, somebody. So when somebody said, one of my favorite questions is, hey, Mike, where are we going to eat? Oh, the, the bountiful blessings of God resulted in a, a meal where the, the nation of Israel, they celebrated. They brought offerings, and, and, and it pointed really to two specific things. Pentecost recognizes two things. First, the coming of the harvest. And then secondly, it recognizes the giving of the law, okay? The coming of the harvest and the giving of the law. You see, the harvest was the centerpiece of the Jewish year. The harvest is when all of your work finally pays off. How many of you, you're just happier when payday rolls around? Mm, come on, hum at me today. Yes, Lord. Man, we've worked. We've worked all week. We've worked two weeks. Maybe you've worked a month. You get paid at the end or the beginning of the month. When payday comes, man, you rejoice. You're just in a good mood. You just feel better. Life seems to flow a little bit better on payday. How many of you like a, a bonus, maybe a year-end bonus? This kind of signifies the harvest has come in. Now, the first fruits was the very beginning of the harvest season, but Pentecost is 50 days later. Now, the grain has come in, and what the children of Israel are doing is they are thanking Yahweh by giving them by, by giving him their first and their best. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But they would take two loaves of bread and, and they would use it as a wave offering. And they would say, Lord, thank you for what you've provided. Oh, I think this is so good. The harvest is now in and they recognize that God is their source. I want you to know, church, hear me. God will take care of you. God is your source. When you recognize God is your source, you can trust him with your resource. See, the harvest has come in, and what they're doing is they're giving thanks, and they're pointing back to him, saying, this didn't come from me. It came to me from him. And they're honoring God with their stuff because they realize that God has provided for them. You know, sometimes we'll stress over what we need. We look at what we need, and there's a lot of worry or concern. Hear me, church. Don't stress over what you need. Thank God for what you already have. Thank him for what you have, and he'll supply what you need. In fact, I want you to say this after me. Say, my job is to honor him. Say, his job is to care for me. You see how that works? We honor the Lord. Whatever we have in our stewardship, it didn't come from us. It came to us from him. God is our provider. Pentecost recognizes that the Lord is taking care of his people. And I want you to know this. God will take care of you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stress. You don't have to be afraid. I know that, that economically things are very difficult right now in this country. But thank God that government is not our source. Thank God the stock market is not your source. But if you honor God, listen, that's your job. Lord, my job is to honor you. God, your promise is to take care of me. Pentecost is about the coming of the harvest, but it's also about the giving of the law. 
In fact, remember when Moses spent 40 days on the mountain. Remember, he had this conversation with God, and God wanted him to remember the conversation. So what did he do? He wrote it in stone. Stone tablets carried the instructions of the Lord to his people. Moses brought the law down the mountain on the day of Pentecost. I believe God cares about you and me so much that he will give us play-by-play instructions. You know what? God speaks. Can I tell you, we serve a God who is not silent, but he speaks just like he writes. Moses carried the tablets down the mountain to the people of Israel, and he did that on Pentecost. You know, today, Jews that celebrate Pentecost, they decorate their homes and their synagogues with with flowers and with greenery because it points to not only the harvest, but the law as the tree of life. Uh, The food that they eat, they eat dairy foods like cheesecake. Come on, somebody. And cheese blintzes. I don't know if you know what a cheese blintz is, but it's like a crepe. How many of you are liking that right now? You know, and, and, and so, so they eat dairy products because the scripture says that the law is like milk and honey. You know, when I was the college pastor here, we did a, a service called Late Night. And man, we had uh, probably seven, 800 college and young adults that would gather every Wednesday night at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night late night. And that service gained a reputation. In fact, all the guys started to refer to late night as the promised land. I'm like, why do they call late night the promised land? They said, because it's the land of milk and honeys. I don't know. Jews that would observe Pentecost would often stay up all night long and they would read the Torah. They would discuss the book because tradition says that as Moses came down the mountain, he found the Israelites sleeping and they didn't want to be caught off guard. I want you to know at Healing Place Church, we exalt God's word. I felt so strongly about that today. When I woke up, it was burnt. It was like fire shut up in my bones. We exalt God's word above our feelings. We exalt God's word above our opinions. We exalt this book above what media, mainstream media says and what culture is trying to demand of us. We exalt God's word uh, above the opinions around us because we know the God who created us gave us this book. And he says, I know you and I love you and I want you to know me. You see, listen, if you're not convinced in the authority of God's word, you'll be a slave to whatever sounds good. And there's a lot of things out there that sound good, but they're not God. You see, I want you, as your pastor, my responsibility is to help to create an appetite in you for God's word. I don't stand up here on Sundays giving you my opinions. You didn't come to church today to get my opinions on politics or culture. You came to hear from God Almighty. 
And from cover to cover, this book contains the very heart of God. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's our fire by night. Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. In Judges, he's the lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's sovereign. In Ezra, he's our true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, our timeless redeemer. In the Psalms, he's our morning song. In Proverbs, he's wisdom's cry. Ecclesiastes, the times and the seasons. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Lamentations, he's the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he's forever faithful. In Joel, he's the spirit's power. In Amos, he's the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord our savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, he's the promise of peace. In Nahum, he's our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's the one pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restored the lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's our fountain. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness to rise with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, Messiah. In the book of Acts, he's fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, he's the power of love. In Galatians, he's our freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he's the servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the Godhead Trinity. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's our coming king. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, our everlasting covenant. In James, he's the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he's our great shepherd. In First, Second, Third John and Jude, he's the lover coming for his bride. And in the Revelation, he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. His name is Jesus. Come on, there's no other name but Jesus. This book tells us about Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, give him praise in this place today. Come on, don't patty cake. Lift up the name of Jesus. It's this book. It's this book. It's this book. It's not the opinions of a man. It's this book. Pentecost was pointing to the law. And God loved us so much that he wrapped himself up in flesh. John's gospel tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among them. I didn't intend to say all that, but hey. Good luck writing that down in the notepad right there. So that's the feast. Somebody say the feast. Here's the faith. Here's what it teaches us. Here's what it teaches us. The faith of Pentecost teaches us that we give our first and our best to the Lord. We give him our best. We give him our our first. There's no leftovers here. Uh, Why would we give God our best? He gave us his best. Look at Jesus. Could God have done any better than Jesus? Is there anything God could have improved on with that gift? God gave you and me heaven's best. 
So what is our response to a God who at every moment in history, he's only given us his best. What's our response? Lord, we give you our first and we give you our best. The good news is this. When you prioritize God, the rest is blessed. Whatever you put God first in, the rest is blessed. You put God first in your money. The tithe, that first 10%, we give it to him. We return it because it's already his. Guess what? The other 90%. God can do more with 10% than you and I can do with 100. Put him first. How do we do this as a church? Well, you know, in January, at the first of the year, we spend 21 days in prayer and fasting. Why do we do that in January? Because we're giving God our first and we're giving him our best. What does that look like in the month? We do a thing called First Wednesday. We gather here on the first Wednesday of the month and we worship together. Why? Because we want the rest of the month to be blessed. We come to God's house on Sunday. Oh, guess what? Sunday is the first day of the week. It's not the last. It's the first. Why? Because we want the week to be blessed. We wake up in the morning, man. We get our, 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 our cup of coffee. Come on, somebody. Have a little Holy Ghost caffeine. And then we get in the word. Why? Because we want the day to be blessed. Come on, somebody say first. first. Say best. If God is our provider, he must be our priority. Number two, what, what does this teach us? It teaches us to remember the poor. Now, let me hustle through this. And notice what he said in verse 22. When you harvest your crops, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. Why? Is God saying to get sloppy? No, he's saying, leave the corner of the field. Oh, and if your harvesters are picking up the grain and they drop some, don't pick it up. Is God wanting them to be lazy? No, he's saying that the corners of the field and the grain that's fallen to the ground, leave it for the poor and the foreigner among you. You know what God's saying? He's saying, live with margin so you can serve the marginalized. Come on now. Did you catch that? Why do we live with margin? We don't live all the way on the edge. Why? We're not consuming everything that God has given us. We're leaving some things in the margin because we want to have room to bless those who are marginalized. In the ancient world, this was called gleaning. When you glean your fields, you would leave the edges. This is the love story of Ruth and Boaz. Come on, somebody. Ruth was a foreigner, but Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. He was rich. He had the field, and, and he let her pick up grain. In fact, he told his harvesters, leave handfuls of grain for her on purpose. You see, I, you may feel marginalized today, but I want you to know this. God has margin for you. God's going to drop handfuls of grain for you on purpose. It's not by accident. It's not by coincidence. Somebody's going to shake your hand and put money in it in Jesus' name. You're going to go to the mailbox and expecting a bill, and you're going to find a $100 bill in Jesus' name. You say, wow, where did this, where did this come from? Well, it's, it's margin for the marginalized. If you feel victimized or you feel less than or left out, God sees you. And as a church, I believe that God has blessed HPC because we have prioritized serving the poor. Proverbs 19:17, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and God will repay you. Isn't that awesome? How you treat the poor 
is a throttle and a thermostat for the blessing that comes back to you. Oh, this is so good. Everybody say the, the feast. Say the faith. Now say the fulfillment. Okay, here's where Pentecost points us. Okay, turn to the last page in your handout, okay? You'll notice that the early harvest point to the first coming of Christ. You've already filled that out. We talked about Passover. We talked about first fruits. We'll, we'll get back to unleavened bread. But that middle mid-harvest, Pentecost, there's a prophetic calendar, okay? What does this feast point to prophetically? The mid-harvest feast points to the age of the church, okay? Pentecost pointed to the age of the church. In fact, it was the Holy Spirit bringing in the harvest. Now, keep this picture. If, if Pentecost represents the coming of the harvest and the giving of the law, in the Old Testament, Moses went up the mountain out of sight, and he came down with the law on Pentecost, Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he ascended upward out of sight, and what came down was the law of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2 is known as the day of Pentecost. Okay, On that day, when they were celebrating the harvest and the law, the scripture says 120 were gathered in an upper room. Read with me Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost... All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. Now, isn't that a sight? Verse 4, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What's interesting is, as the people were thinking about the faithfulness of God bringing in the harvest, as they were honoring the instruction of God, his word for his people, God sent them the person and the power of the Holy Spirit and filled them up. Now, here's, here, here's some good news. Check this out. Let me give you the bad news first. You want to hear the bad news? Bad news first, you can't do this by yourself. I know sometimes we think we can, and we fake ourselves out. I got this. I got this. No, I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to sacrifice more. I'll wake up early, stay up later. Man, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I got this. No, you don't. You don't have this. You never will have it. Even on your best day, you'll fall short. That's the bad news is you can't do this on your own, but you ready for the good news? You don't have to. The day of Pentecost, something came down, not from the mountain and not on stone tablets, but something came down from heaven in the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. There's a Greek word for Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It's called paraclete, parakletos, and it means one who comes along beside. Guess what? You have a helper. How many of you are thankful for a helper? How many of you, some days you just need help? Oh, help me, Holy Spirit. I can't do this on my own. And the Holy Spirit's like, I got you. Some of you, listen, some of you need help with your mouth. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Can, I, can I go there? 
you need help with your mouth. Well, you say, wait a second, Pastor, I thought you were going to talk about speaking in tongues. Listen, I think the greatest evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is not necessarily speaking in tongues, but controlling your tongue. Mm. Somebody say, help me, Holy Spirit, because your mouth will get you in trouble, will it not? And you say, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And the Holy Spirit's like, ah, I can help. Oh, call on me. I can help. Some of you have a problem with your attitude. Some of you have kids that have problems with their attitudes. Do you wish kids that, sometimes I think, Lord, why didn't you make kids with like a zipper on the back so you can unzip them, take out the bad attitude, put in the Holy Spirit, zip them back up and send them to school and say, bye. You need help with your attitude. Here comes the Holy Spirit. You need help with patience. Your flesh will never be patient, but the Holy Spirit says, I got you. Some of you are struggling in your marriage. Can I tell you? Oh, you need a Holy Ghost. But there's not a marriage on the planet that can't be fixed with the help of the Holy Spirit. If you have the help of the Holy Ghost, you can solve any problem in any relationship. Some of you need to forgive, and you can't do that in your flesh. Guess what the Holy Spirit says? I'm here. I can help you. You need help raising your children. You need help in your thought life. You need help being generous. You need help standing strong. You need help to be pure. Guess what? The Holy Spirit came 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, and the church was birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit, and from that day to this day, listen, God with you is good, but God in you is better. This is the help of the Holy Spirit now that comes inside. The Holy Spirit did two things that day. Number one, he gave us the power to follow God's law. You know what? This law, you can't do this on your own. It, it points out how, how far we fall short. But when the Holy Spirit is inside of us, it gives us the power to do what pleases him. It gives us the power to, to be set free from drugs, alcohol, sexual addiction, pornography, the things that you can't do in your own strength. Lord, I can't live a life that's pleasing to you. No, we can't. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can not only does he give us the power to follow God's law, but he gives us the power to reach the harvest. I want to ask the band to come and, and, and help me as we wrap this up. You see, if, if Pentecost is about the law and the harvest, on that day 2,000 years ago in that upper room, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, something supernatural happened. And you know what? It's really hard to explain. I don't, in my mind, I try to imagine what that looked like and, 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 and how people responded and what they felt. They spoke some things that they had never spoken before. They saw some things they had never seen before. They experienced things they had never experienced before. So they could do some things they had never done before. You see, on that day in that upper room, think about it. Jesus had just been crucified. Persecution in the church was at an all-time high. Christians were afraid. These disciples were weak and timid, scared. But then they got full of the Holy Ghost. They got some power. They went from being scared to acknowledge 
a Jesus that they could see, and now they're willing to die for a Jesus that was nowhere to be found. Think about it. They were scared when they were with Jesus. They arrested Jesus, made all the disciples scattered. But the day of Pentecost changed everything. Now they're turning the world upside down. They're willing to risk their very lives. And Well, where's Jesus? Well, Jesus is in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is in my heart. You see, some of you need power. You need power. You need help. Guess what? Help has a name. Holy Spirit. Mm. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. My decision has been made. I've stepped over the line. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarf gold. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, or popularity. I don't have to be right, be tops, be first, be praised, be recognized, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence. I love by patience. I lift by prayer, and I labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few, but my God is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, be compromised, be turned back, lured away, detoured, distracted, deluded, discouraged, or dismayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, let up, slow up, or shut up. Until I preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I will go until he comes, I'll give until I drop. I'll preach until I'll know, and I'll work until he stops. And when he comes back to receive his own, he will have no trouble recognizing me. My colors will be clear. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Come on, put your hands together if you receive that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.